Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? You think that there's a good chance, I suspect, that Antonio Conte is the man. Tottenham finished second. Ooh. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Now then, you're very welcome along. Off the ball coming at you on a Wednesday evening. So Kevin Blackstone, always a brilliant contributor, will tell us about the extraordinary life and times of Bill Russell, perhaps the most influential player on and off the NBA court. That's coming up this hour. We will have a football show which includes thoughts from Graeme Hunter and John Bruin. Between eight and nine, myself and Mick and Ronan and Arthur, team OTB collectively, will chat through some of the week's stories. 53106 is the text number. If you want us to talk about anything there, do get in touch because... Uh, well, frankly, we don't have that many ideas between eight and nine at the moment. So <laughs> we'd welcome them. And you'll get us at off the ball as well. Ron Mullen, hello. Hi, Joe. We have Richie McCormick with us as ever. Hello, Richie. Evening, gents. Anything you'd like us to discuss between eight and nine, Richie? Any burning issue? Uh, you could start a, a, a nice favourite of yours. This kind of just made it under the wire uh, just before the news round that the 11 golfers playing on Live Golf have filed an antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal this evening. Interesting on a couple of fronts because Bryson DeChambeau was interviewed by the ever-charming Tucker Carlson in his uh, never-ending series of interviews with the Live Golfers. And Bryson suggested that there would be talks or there would be some kind of accession from the PGA Tour to allow the lads, you know, to compete on both. Uh, Whereas Davis Love III, speaking ahead of the President's Cup, he's the captain of the US team for that, uh, he was suggesting that there could be an all-out strike uh, by PGA Tour golfers if these lads are allowed back on regardless of what the courts says was his actual quote um, so yeah like we're either heading for peace in our time or all out mm-hmm. war and it's actually really difficult to tell at this moment in time which way that's going to tip all out war I think all out war I think well yeah. I suspect uh, Dave's Love's sense and uh, speaking for probably lots of PGA Tour players is hang on we showed a certain loyalty to the tour we passed on tens of millions of dollars individually and now all the live guys who abandoned the tour took the tens of millions can now come back and cherry pick the best events on the PGA Tour as well. No chance. So, yeah, he said, we'll boycott the events if that happens, even if the courts uh, give the live golf uh, guys the thumbs up. I mean, I'm loathe to quote Donald Trump, but he did last week say, you're really foolish you're really foolish if you didn't take the live money because that was a once in a lifetime opportunity to make 40, 50, 100, 150 million and you'll be um, in exactly the same position as the PGA Tour players in a couple of years. He may well be right, you know. So uh, you can see why the guys who stayed behind and showed some loyalty are, are pretty peeved. But there we go. And is there enough talent in the PGA to stand alone without the loss of increasingly higher profile players? There is for the bigger events, I would say, for instance, the last two weeks on the PGA Tour have been very, very low wattage. So at the weekend just gone, we had Tony Fina winning the second week in a row, actually, which, you know, if you're a golf fan was noteworthy. But I think the casual sports fan survived without going deep on Tony Fina. But the PGA Tour on the week just gone, uh, again, it was a very average field, very missable. Tends to be the case though at this time of year, doesn't it? Like it after does, after yeah. the majors are all done, and then before that last scramble for points or whatever, whatever tour you're on, yeah, yeah, like before that really kicks in, usually September, from right in saying September, October. Yeah, no, in fairness, it, stuff starts to ramp. It is up traditionally there. not the most exciting time. All the big players yeah. are taking a bit of a break. But that said, Live Golf at Trump Bedminster was um, better, just a better field, you know, and like and one of the 
things it's maligned for is that it's an old folks home and it's players who are past their sell by date but like they can all still play golf to an extraordinary level and they're just players that you know and you've grown up with and so you turn on and you see a bunch of recognisable faces and names and then you flick over to the PGA Tour and it's a bunch of guys you don't know with you know uniquely odd names in the world of American golf there's just some there's a certain <laughs> I don't know what it is people with weird names tend to end up on the PGA <laughs> Tour for whatever reason and uh, you know like the worrying thing for the PGA Tour is if they're being honest like the field at Trump Edminster was uh, better and this is only their third event so um, yeah I'd say there's enough talent to sustain the PGA Tour but I don't know if there's enough um, kind of showbiz quality there amongst the masses you know but what and like notably that's what Liv have gone after isn't it the the juice yeah the blockbuster names yeah. th- those that will make a splash big uh, time and go viral sound bites and so on but like what the traditionalists group in this instance have is tradition on their side mm. and Liv Golf will never have that it'll take them decades to derive that but yeah. to what extent that's valued anymore Who like knows. the PGA Tour can hang their hat on I mean I've, of years. I found as a floating voter on Sunday I went with Liv and like yeah there have been 40 versions of the Rocket Mortgage Classic before but like I don't care you know I just like yeah. who cares who won it two years ago who uh, even a hardcore golf fan couldn't tell you who won it two years ago or who won in Las Vegas two years ago or who won the Shriners or you know these things come and they go people remember majors so I don't think that tradition increasingly is going to uh, be a huge factor for um, somebody deciding which to watch you know so it's very they're, they're, they're going to they're going to see crowd numbers and they're going to they're going to struggle to attract people and just like uh, supporters or viewers or whatever mm. because they're going within a niche within a niche like you've like any sport you can pick out any sport and see it's migration wholesale to pay tv like whatever it is whether it's cricket whether it's rugby or whether it's uh, golf like naturally has a drop off in numbers mm. uh, watching it like that's just the, the nature of these things but when you go to a digital only platform after being on uh, after making your name in the world of pay TV only, like you're you're not going to start creating new people on this, and you're going to just see those names that you do have signed up to live, just swimming in a circle and devouring each other, and then drifting away through age and, and lack of interest and contract expiries and all this kind of stuff. And I think I don't think it's good. No, well, listen, it's, it's 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 not great for the sport at all. I mean, it's there's European Super League vibes of it. They are going to have relegation, it seems, next year. But I mean if you're a team captain or if you have a multi-year contract, you can't be relegated. So I'd say about 10 guys will be eligible for the four relegation spots. It'll be ridiculous. But what they'll just do, Richie, is they'll just buy the next new superstar. So like Cam Smith won the Open at St. Andrews. It's pretty much taken as a very strong rumour that once the FedEx is out of the way, Cam Smith will be heading over to live for 80, 90 million dollars. So whatever superstar pops up and wins the major, Greg Norman will test their loyalty and... Uh, history, recent history has shown that a fair proportion of them will say, yeah, I'll take the Live Golf money because I've got a five-year exemption to all the majors anyway. So that's how they'll regenerate. They'll pluck the biggest names they can, you know. Uh, so, did they, stop, uh, did they stop offering exemptions to majors unless you're signed up to one of the two tours? Is uh, that the way this goes? I, I, well, uh, I don't know if they can do that. And again, I would, not to reheat an old conversation, but I think increasingly, selfishly, the four majors might privately be saying to themselves, well, hang on. Our four tournaments are now the only four tournaments all year where we get all of the best golfers in the same tournament playing against each other. Our tournaments just became more vital than ever. We've never been we've never been sitting more pretty here. So uh, let them all in, you know. So I think I think ultimately self-interest might preclude that happening. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah. Uh, Bill Russell. We're talking Bill Russell. 
We've got Kevin Blackstone, who's a brilliant, brilliant uh, contributor on the way. Bill Russell's career is insane. You mentioned it last night that we should do the piece and geez, you weren't kidding. I mean, passed away on Sunday, 88 years of age, 11 championships with the Boston Celtics. He was their first ever black player signed in 1956, won eight in a row, won two of those championships as coach, I think player coach as well. There was a 1980 poll of basketball writers and they voted Bill Russell the greatest player in NBA history at that stage. And so they would have seen his games in the main and uh, they said he was the best and New York Times obituary described him as the player who transformed pro basketball. And so he had this extraordinary career on the court. And then off the court, he was a fairly remarkable figure as well. He was on that 1963 march in Washington for jobs and freedom. He was in the front row for Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. He supported Ali when he refused the draft. He was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom, grew up in Louisiana, where, where segregation was rife and his mother passed away when he was 12 moved to California got a scholarship to the University of San Francisco and that was how he made his way in the game and Ronan something you mentioned even uh, last night just to add another layer of interest I suppose to the whole story uh, racism in Boston is rife when he's a player like I said he's the first black player to play for the Celtics his house in 1960 is broken into and his trophies are all smashed and there's excrement left in his bed, he and his wife's bed, and the N-word is plastered in spray paint all over the house. And he has this very difficult relationship with this city as he brings in championship after championship after championship to the extent that at his retirement in 1972, which should have been this huge affair, at his request, it's a, a private event in Boston Garden. He doesn't want to be waving to the crowd and wouldn't sign autographs and wouldn't sign uh, even things for teammates. And one of his teammates wrote a letter of regret to him in 2016 to say he was sorry he didn't support him more and I think um, Russell's a touch aloof as well Russell didn't phone him for two and a half years and even the conversation then wasn't a great uh, you know reapproachment where he was asked you know did you get my letter and he just said yeah but didn't really get into I accept your apology or it's okay it was uh, an aloof character at times he had uh, in his second autobiography this is what he said about the racism in Boston This is a hell of a line. So he says, uh, to me, Boston itself was a flea market of racism. It had all varieties, old and new, and in their most virulent form. The city had the corrupt city hall crony racists. It had the brick throwing, send them back to Africa racists. And it had the university areas, phony radical chic racists, long before they appeared in New York, is how he summed up uh, Boston. In 2013, they did put up a statue and there was a bit of a, a, a warming, a kind of a thawing in the coldness and he did promote the city and said it was uh, open and everyone's included that was kind of in 04 when he was promoting the city but you know that's kind of a, a two two and a half minute summary of this guy and uh, well Kevin Blackstone will expand on all that but it's a hell of a life totally and I mentioned last night <coughs> excuse me that he is in considering that echelon alongside the likes of Michael Jordan and LeBron James Whereas they would be considered stratospheric talents, Bill Russell, even himself, wouldn't claim to have been like a stratospheric player talent wise. Like he was a facilitator on the court. But the reason he played those 11 seasons or won those 11 championships rather was his ability to get the best out of others. And that's why he segued so seamlessly as a player coach, because he harnessed that respect with his with his colleagues on court. And then what he done, what he managed to do post playing you know, speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. And the Boston thing is, it's just, 
It's so striking and it's a dichotomy that the NBA at large has to grapple with. Like there's talk at the moment of retiring his number six jersey league wide and that kind of would be an unprecedented step in American sports or sports at large, I would wager. But you go through the vault of like thinking heads or talking heads rather around this time of Bill Russell's surge through the league and some hard reading in terms of should this guy be the totem of our game? Should this guy be the totem of American sport? And you you compare that with, say, Tom Brady, who's, again, an emblematic figure in Boston, and Bill Russell delivered almost twice as many championships as Tom Brady did, and how they're revered at the time of their heyday is mm. so markedly different. Yeah, for sure. We will uh, crack on with the news round, which is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Richie, you're starting with football. Yeah, Jamie McGrath hoping to jumpstart his career back in Scotland. The Republic of Ireland midfielder has joined Dundee United on loan from Wigan Athletic. McGrath moved to Wigan from St Mirren in January, but he managed just 70 minutes of League One football and saw his international career suffer as a result. The Mead native says Dundee United boss Jack Ross was a decisive factor in joining the Tannadice outfit, as well as the lure of European football. There was a few clubs kind of interested, but from speaking with the gaffer, I kind of knew straight away that this is where I want to be. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting going on the training ground with them and with the lads and um, yeah I just really can't wait to get going and obviously there's a big European tie coming up and um, hopefully feature or be involved in some capacity so um, yeah it's great great feeling around the place and um, you can see the trajectory the club's going in the last few years and um, hopefully it can be a part of that going forward. Ronaldo meanwhile so Ten has gone very public on this situation. He has, yeah. Manchester United boss Eric Ten Hag says it's unacceptable that Cristiano Ronaldo left a pre-season friendly before it finished on Sunday. The Portugal captain, who's reported to be pushing for a move away, departed Old Trafford after he was substituted at half-time of their game with Rio Vallecano. Other players also left with Ronaldo. Ten Hag told Viaplay that the whole squad should have stayed until the end, but in a different interview with Sky Sports, he says Ronaldo could still play a significant role for United this season. I think he can, <laughs> but it started with he has to get fit. He just started, and uh, he is uh, he's a fantastic uh, football player. <laughs> he proved it so many times. <laughs> and but you can always um, uh, be judged by what you are now, <laughs> what you are presenting now, and performing now. So uh, the team and Cristiano by himself uh, has to prove it. Doesn't sound too angry there. It's more of a stern warning. Yeah, and like Ten Hag has garnered a lot of goodwill among Manchester United fans, it would seem. And, you know, this stern approach that he seems to be taking with Ronaldo and others, there was also that story that the Athletic broke during the summer that I think two players were dropped from pre-season games because they had turned up to multiple meetings late. And that was kind of a culture that, by all accounts, had crept in the, the leniency of the Solskjaer reign and the substitute teacher vibes that Ralph Ragnick seemed to have when he was at the club um, that Ten Hag it might seem innocuous enough but was like keen enough to put his foot down it's difficult when you've got one of the few players in the history of world football who might supersede the club he plays for at any given moment but Ronaldo's profile and his ability at the moment are so at odds like he's not the He's not of enough benefit to what Ten Hag wants to do to to warrant stepping out of line in this manner. Like I think if if Ten Hag had his way, Ronaldo would be at the door. But as you heard there, there's an element of politics to be played, and he knows that 
you can't totally ostracise him if he's going to be hanging around like a bad smell all season. Mm. Did you see that story about uh, Ronaldo and Harry Maguire taking up the vast majority of abusive tweets in the first half yeah. of last season? So, so, like the study involved analysis of 2.3 million tweets, of which nearly 60,000 were found to be abusive. Which is kind of that's a pretty good rate, really. I mean, you think it's such a cesspit, but 2.3 million, 60,000 were abusive when it came to uh, football. So. What's really striking is just the extent to which all of this distills down to the same handful of players. So it's all, well, a lot of Man United players, but it's Ronaldo by a distance getting 12,000. Harry Maguire gets 8,000. Marcus Rashford is third with 6,000. Like very quickly, you're down to Harry Kane's in fifth just getting 2,000. I mean, just no one wants 2,000 abusive tweets in the space of a couple of months. But And Pogba gets his fair share, as you can imagine as well. But it, it is kind of amazing. And media is increasingly guilty of this as well I mean this show included like it's all just distilled down to the same couple of teams and the same few players and you know we're kind of ignoring the bulk like we're not doing too many Wolves pieces <laughs> this is true like you'll find anytime Ronaldo posts anything there's a, a direct split of responses between like um, Messi extremists and Ronaldo extremists which will linger forever more Joe I don't think we're ever going to see the end of Do you the think they're bots? Pe- Penaldo I would I would hope so. <laughs> but it would seem like multiple simulated slash replicated responses uh, along the same lines, but like the usual nonsense. Whereas the Maguire stuff would appear to be a little bit more targeted and uh, I'd echo that towards the likes of Marcus Rashford where there is a sense with those two, I would think that their profile away from the pitch um, exceeds their actual, what they've brought to the field, especially in Manchester United jerseys of late. Like Harry Maguire had pretty meteoric rise in that he was obviously playing in the championship then with Leicester all of a sudden he's the most expensive centre-back of all time and captaining Manchester United and it all seemed a little bit quick and equally Marcus Rashford like at at one point like he he seemed to be on the right trajectory but at a certain point his his profile superseded what he was delivering and I think that's where the frustration comes from not to excuse it but I think there is a, a divergence between what Ronaldo gets and what yeah. those guys get Ronaldo topped that list almost every season whereas Maguire had a particularly weird season and English fans were booing him and Rashford had a particularly bad season I mean if they just settle down and play well again they're yeah. not going to be two and three on the list that's actually more uh, circumstantial whereas you just think Ronaldo will always just be getting abuse because equally so he's pains. getting he's also getting showered with love yeah yeah, yeah. So. Probably, there's probably 12,000 loving t- but like well. People were reporting he wasn't going to play for Manchester United again and then there was a, a tweet about the Rio Vallecano game and he, he wrote underneath it, the king is back, the king will play. Mm. So he's, uh, I think he's I think he's self-affirmed enough, Joe. I think he's, uh, he's got a good sense of himself. He sure does. So uh, more football, Rich? Yeah, United wing-back Alex Telles is travelling to Spain this evening to secure a low move to Sevilla. There'll be no obligation for the Spanish club to buy with the Brazilian having two years remaining on his Old Trafford contract. Meanwhile, UEFA are introducing semi-automated offside technology in the group stage of this season's Champions League. It had been thought the system would make its debut at this year's World Cup in Qatar. UEFA say the technology will allow VAR to determine offsides more quickly and accurately via the use of specialised cameras tracking 29, not 30, different points on a player's body. Wow. God, that's amazing. So <clears throat> will this ultimately manifest as when there's an offside, we won't have the play develop for 30 seconds afterwards? Or do we uh, know? That <clears throat> is remaining unclear. Um, we'll still, I think, have the same offside processes in place. Uh, right. But this will be able to more accurately determine 
uh, without the you know getting the set square out. Um, okay, but we might we might still have player go through and goal, takes around the keeper, scores, and then VAR kicks in and we get that decision yeah. quicker. Yeah. All right, okay. It's yeah. the one that's yeah. always bemoaned uh, by uh, the third man in the booth on the BT commentary team, for example. It's like, oh, why could he not have just blown that up twenty seconds earlier? Mm. But it's va- it's a valid point because someone's going to get injured well, in one of the, though. in one of these. We've been saying that for a whole season. That no, but someone gonna get it's going to happen, Joe. No it's one's gonna, got injured. It's going to happen though. You see it enough times where I don't think anyone is. Well, you're really not. Uh, <laughs> I just it hasn't happened in a whole season. It's just a normal football moment. It's not any more dangerous. I think it's very unlikely someone gets injured going in on goal. If someone's careering into a goalkeeper for no yeah. apparent reason, or there's like two lads competing for a fifty-fifty, when yeah. in reality everybody in the stadium knows that this is going to be brought back. Okay, no, I'll, g- I'll give you the the fifty-fifty where keeper and player is is one of the more dangerous situations. I'll give you that. But I'm just saying for a whole year now. No, no, but the third I, man in BT has been saying someone's going to get injured, Fletch. Yeah, no one's if, got if there'd been about four or five in the last season or so, I think we could probably have this conversation and say, do you know what, maybe it's time in the interest of player safety that they roll this back. But we can't, with no evidence that anybody's been <laughs> just completely greased exas- by this. <laughs> there hasn't been just one. give me one it's broken the, leg. Just one broken leg. That's all I'm asking for. The yeah. exasperated sigh I love. <sighs> it's ruining our beautiful game. <laughs> but they just have to stop saying someone's going to get injured, yeah. Fletch. No, but like I, there is validity in it. I take your point that there's no uh, there's no hard data to back it up yet, Joe. Oh. Uh, like where are we going to be? Uh, remember that time <laughs> Phil Foden pulled the hamstring? Like what? What's you know? Come on. Yeah, this something. is Martin Keown talking. I'm merely a vessel for his message. Right. Okay. So uh, the managerial Mary Grand is picking up pace. Yeah, aren't we all vessels for Martin Keown's message, Ron? Uh, Roscommon, the latest county to undergo a change of management with their senior footballers. Anthony Cunningham has informed the county board that he won't be seeking a fifth year in charge. Cunningham led the Rossies to a Connacht title in his first year in charge. And last year, guided them to promotion back to Division 1. That was his second victory in Division 2 of the Allianz Football League. Pretty cool thing to be a dual manager. Galway Hurlers and Roscommon did a pretty good job, Anthony Cunningham. So probably... Not the last we'll see of him. Uh, Brian has texted in on this Live Golf business and said, are we deliberately ignoring the SETI elements? Oh my God, Brian, we've talked about SETI elements <laughs> <laughs> non-stop. Like, deliberately ignoring them. Joe, it's about time you address this now. Jeez. We have talked about the SETI elements like to the point of annoyance, I think, for people. No, we're not deliberately ignoring the SETI elements. But I, I suppose the thing to say is the Saudi sports washing aspect, Brian, is just not an issue here for the players when we're discussing the extent to which this thing will succeed or not succeed. It's like it is. We've had uh, golf reporters who are out there on the driving ranges of PGA Tour events on Golf Weekly and ask them, like, does the human rights aspect come up with the players when you're talking with them, you know, even off the record? And the answer is no, it doesn't at all. And like the players increasingly are uh, emboldened about the Saudi thing and they're pointing out some, you know, genuine-ish hypocrisies, as in just in the last couple of weeks, we had Mohammed bin Salman welcomed with open arms to the Champs Elysees, and, and like the, very much a, a rehabilitation of his reputation post post uh, Khashoggi and Boris Johnson, Joe Biden, all on like bended knee in Saudi Arabia just in the last few months. And um, the business that Saudi companies are doing all over golf has been pointed to. PGA Tour, like a bunch of their sponsors, have, and I feel like I've watched too many of these Tucker Carlson interviews now that I can reel off these arguments, but Jeez. these are the yeah. these are the things that the players are saying. So, you know, they're, they're listing out the many, many ways in which Saudi Arabia's fingerprints are all over the world of finance and sport. And they're saying, why are you coming after me for playing golf? And Tucker Carlson says, I agree. I just can't believe Tucker Carlson's otherwise unblemished resume has been tarnished by this nonsense. <laughs> I don't see why did, they have to, why did they have to sully 
Poor Tucker Carls. I don't see uh, Fox very much. What's Tucker's deal? Is he, is he full on? He's, he's a white supremacist, Joe. Whoa, 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 I don't know if we can say that. Oh, it makes nodding. Okay, right, we said it. Right, fine. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if enough about him. I'm just not comfortable uh, yeah. with the saying that on the radio. I think um, there's yeah. enough. Whatever his views are, there's enough there to corroborate them. Uh, he's not afraid to uh, take the opposing view, put it that way. But yeah, like in keeping with the Fox News agenda, Joe, is the best way to describe him, I would think. Mm. I mean, the, the Fox clip I've watched the most of my life is We'll Do It Live. But uh, so I don't get to. Do you Fox? Do you watch Fox? It used to be part of the Sky News package back when there was some sort of dual broadcast yeah. arrangement there. But no, increasingly it would just be them being parodied by Seth Meyers and others on uh, American TV. Okay. So maybe I'm not getting the best um, of what Fox News are trying to offer. It's all, often the stuff that's getting lampooned are the bits that I see. Yeah, that's what I tend to see. That's what tends to, to pop up. I th- I've read recently that the new um, person at the helm of CNN is, is trying to take it back to not being left, but to be middle of the road, the news straight coming at you. You can rely on this. No slant. I don't know if there's a market for that in America. I anymore. find I find uh, American news coverage oh, difficult to watch. Difficult to watch. Especially, well, not especially all year round, especially at election time, though, where it is like party political broadcasts on any given station. It is hard to find mm. balance. I appreciate that's a unique political situation where they literally are divergent. But uh, some, something where someone is giving, I can see that side of the argument, but here's what they're saying also. It uh, doesn't seem to exist. doesn't seem to be a market for it either. No. So um, the Mayo job situation... I mean, this is, <laughs> I sort of interested feel... interested, Jonah? Well, I mean, <laughs> like, look at everybody involved. I mean, we wouldn't have a chance. Uh, so th- there's a fairly stacked uh, list of candidates here, Richie. You might take us through where, where we are now when it comes to Mayo job. Never have we seen such stacked backroom teams yeah. or at least potential backroom teams here. Kevin McStay, not the only candidate for the Mayo manager's job to have assembled an all-star potential backroom team. Ray Dempsey has reportedly lined up Ushi McConville and Paul Galvin to assist him should he get the nod from the Mayo County Board. McStay has already reported, believed to have rounded up Stephen Rochford, Liam McHale and Donny Buckley as part of his ticket. Dempsey, McStay, Mike Sloan and Declan Shaw are scheduled to meet with the subcommittee designated to appoint James Horan's successor in the coming days. Yeah, I did see um, Declan Shaw. I don't know if the others have, but Declan Shaw had done like an interview with the Mayo News, you know, what I can bring to the job. And like, I feel, I mean, I don't know. I'm just guessing. I feel like this process is everything James Horan does not want around Mayo football. All this noise, all this talk, like just hire some, just get on with it. Don't have this circus. I feel like his head, his, his head's in his hands going, this is what I, I, we got a bit messy for a while. I brought us back to saying nothing in closed shop. And now the second I walk out the door, like it's become not circus, circus is harsh, but it's become very high profile again. I think they should just tap into that a bit more make it a public <laughs> vote. Yeah. Big brother style. Or we should, we should have an off the ball assemble team with Mayo Pundits, DB, David Brady. We should go for the job as Billy well. Billy Joe Padden, Nathan Murphy. I mean, look at like Ray Dempsey with People of the calibre of Ocean McConville, Paul Galvin, and then you've got McStay's backroom team, Rochford, McHale, Donny Buckley. Like, this is unbelievably impressive stuff, you know, so like, they'll be well served regardless. Do you think it's a good time to take the Mayo job? Um, I wasn't so sure. And then Mick Foley was on the other week and I put the point to him that, like, at a glance, you could look at this year and say, well, that's the the end for this Mayo group. And 
he made a very convincing argument that actually the Horn has brought through so much talent that the the period of regeneration is really kind of underway. And so it's a great time to take over. And I was talking to someone who really knows the scene there uh, who told me that the underage talent coming through in Mayo is, is off the charts good. I guess they've been raised on the last decade and watching Mayo get to finals and uh, the systems are in place. So apparently you'll have lots to work with is the um, is the sense. So, yeah, I guess, look, all of those um, people speak, going for that job. Speak to an appetising job. Yeah, that would that would suggest it's a, it's a job worth having for sure. I think we're pretty much out of time. Mick, are we going or are we good? We can take one more story, Rich. Uh, we will go one more story then. Um, Jack Byrne is rated only as 50-50 for Shamrock Rovers Europa League qualifier at home to Shkupi tomorrow night. The Republic of Ireland midfielder continuing to struggle with a hip flexor injury. Manager Stephen Bradley says recent signing Simon Power is also likely to miss the first leg with a knock. Rovers will have had one eye on this evening's Champions League qualifier in Azerbaijan where it finished Karabag 1, French Varos 1 with the eventual losers of that tie playing either Rovers or Shkupi in the Europa League playoff round. On uh, Ronaldo leaving early, somebody says United as a club is still in the toilet. The idea of players leaving early before a match ends is ragball rovers. They might pull the odd victory out this year, may reach a final. The club is in the doldrums. I don't think too many would disagree with that just yet. Fellas, we are pretty much done. Richie, thank you very much. Nice and lads. Ron Mullen, thank you. Cheers, Joe.